The following is a presentation of Gallery Church Downtown, part of a family of neighborhood churches seeking to display God's greatness to the world. For more information, please visit gcbdowntown.com. So Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 11. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. God bless the reading of his word. Uh, so for those of you who don't know me, my name is Liv. And I'm one of the worship leaders here at Gallery, and this is the first time I've ever done this, so it's going to be an adventure. Um, I've been married to Blake, who taught us last week. Um, He taught us on hope, and we've been married for eight years, and we have three itty-bitty tiny humans, I'm sure, that you hear every Sunday when they come in, like, stopping and dancing their way in here. Um, We have Isley, who is almost five. We have Rosie, who is three, and Lakin, who's uh, 15 months. I I don't count months after one, I feel like. Okay, you made it. You're one. Good. Um, (laughs) So I grew up in Baltimore. I'm from, um, like, southern Baltimore County. I was born in Ohio, but I grew up in Baltimore. I moved here when I was four, so I don't really remember much of Ohio. And Blake and I have lived in the city for seven years, and we'll be part of Gallery for seven years this January, which is just where has the time gone? Um, How many of you have been here that long in the city, even if not at Gallery? Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right, good. All right, so um, we're, we're going to keep going on with this series on Advent. Uh, the first week that we were in this series, Ellis talked on peace, um, and he talked about that tension that uh, Lauren mentioned earlier about the already but not yet, um, how we're kind of considered like the between people, that every day this whole life is kind of living in like a long advent with longing and anticipation and then last week Blake taught about hope and he really brought into perspective that God's kingdom is one of reversal Um, that the ones who were healed and the ones who got touched they were the ones who were rejected and they were the lowly and they were the ones who were unseen and kind of pushed to the outskirts the ones who lived on the fringes and he reminded us that in the kingdom of God that He's calling the high, he's the highs are going to become lows and the lows are going to become high. And it's this like beautiful journey of everything being made whole and everything coming together in this perfect unity. And then today I get to talk about joy. (laughs) Um, And I was a little hesitant when I was asked to talk about joy because I feel, at least in my experience, sometimes it's not handled very well. Um, A lot of times it's used maybe interchangeably with the word happiness. And we're kind of responsible for it ourselves, right? Like kind of um, picture joy as like, oh yeah, all of this stuff is happening, but it's, it's fine. Like, I'm fine. You're fine. It's all going to be fine. Like, let's just keep moving on. Um, but joy is such, it's so much deeper than that. Um, joy goes deeper than the denial and the pretending that sadness and grief don't exist or that bad things don't happen. And for us to jump into joy, I feel like the only way we can really fully understand what joy is is if we also first make room for our grief. And so I'm going to take you on a little journey in our story. I'm going to be really vulnerable with you guys this morning because I'm hopeful that in all of this time, in the 20 minutes or so that we're going to share together this morning, that you guys will see that 
regardless of where you find yourself in that spectrum this morning, that you have a song to sing. Um, And it's a song that we all get to join in, that as Andrew was reading through that passage, that this is good news, this is joy for all. And so 2016, I, well, first of all, I had never really... I didn't even know what Advent was until a few years ago. I grew up in church, and my dad was like a music minister, but we did like traditional, I don't know what, I guess Advent is also traditional, but we did like Christmas cantatas and caroling and hot chocolate and cookie exchanges, and that was kind of like what you did. And we had like big, giant church decorating parties. And around 12, I just got done with it, and I became a Grinch and was like, this is dumb. What's the point? I don't understand why we're doing all of this, and we're buying all these gifts that we can't even afford, and I just, it just seems silly and dumb. And I ruined probably like six consecutive Christmases. Sorry, Mom. Um, <laughs> but then when we came to gallery, and they had started, you know, we, we started walking through this, this liturgical tradition of Advent, and it really brought something, um, some deep meaning to, to Christmas, and why this birth that, of Jesus that, it wasn't just a child's story, but that it's good news, and it still is good news. And so I'm going to paint this picture for you. 2016 was kind of a blow-up year for our family. Um, Rosie was just a couple months old. She was itty-bitty, tiny newbie, and Isley was two, just over two. So we had a lot of feelings happening in our house. And I did not adjust to motherhood the way that I thought I would. I always kind of thought that, I used to joke that we'd have like 12 kids and it would be fine. Like, I'd be like, yeah, we'll just have this like amazing family. And none of that happened, obviously. Um, (laughs) Because after I was in the thick of motherhood, I realized that everything I thought it would be, um, it wasn't. And so I was kind of drowning, a lot of drowning, um, the neediness and the exhaustion and everything that comes with that. And in that particular season, Blake was working two jobs, so he would leave before the girls woke up, and he would come home usually after we had gone to bed. And so I was at home with the kids and somehow doing undergrad because I'm stupid, I guess, the timing. And I was running a business from home, and it was just all of this chaos. And at the same time, um, Blake was walking through uh, this really broken and dark and uncertain faith deconstruction and everything that we had built our lives on, everything that was for our world, um, every decision we made, every, every ounce, like everything we did that was through this lens of faith um, was called into question. And in 2016, uh, some of you might remember the Oliver family. Um, Bo used to be one of the members on our worship team, and he, he was Bo. <laughs> He was a joy and talented and creative and good and just kind of like a breath of fresh air, a lot of time to be around. But he was battling Ewing sarcoma. And in June of 2016, we watched him take his final breath, and it was just this moment where we had prayed and we had fasted and we had wrote songs and we we believed and hoped that God was going to heal Bo, but then here he was. And instead of having a song of rejoicing, we were caught in the thick of like, what in the world are you doing, God? How is this good news? And then just to add this other layer, <laughs> a few weeks after Bo passed away, I found out that I was pregnant again. And I was like, huh? I don't know how this is good. I don't know how I'm going to do this. And I kind of freaked out. And 
When I freak out, I'm not the most emotionally aware person. I know what big feelings are and what no feelings are, but what they are, I don't know, um, which is why you need good friends. Um, <laughs> and so I had all of these feelings, but I couldn't tell you what they were. I was just feeling things. And so when I feel that way, I rage clean. Does anybody, anybody else do that? Okay, I'm a, I need to bring order to chaos when I'm feeling chaotic. And so I found out I was pregnant. I deep cleaned the house. I organized every bin of baby clothes we had. I went through the girls' clothes, and I decluttered everything. And they just kind of sat on the floor, and I was like, well, I can't do anything about this. It's got to be good news somehow, so let's, let's just do it. Somehow this is going to... This is going to work out. I don't know how, I don't know what that's going to look like, but we're going to figure it out. And I had this piece as I was folding newborn clothes, thinking about how in the world this other tiny life was going to be added to our family. Um, And then about a week later, I started having some bleeding, and I had a really interesting birth with, uh, with Rosie, and when she, when she came out, she popped my pelvis since I was still recovering <laughs> from giving birth to her. She was, still, she was only nine months at the time we found out that I was pregnant. And so physically, I wasn't really ready to have another baby. Um, and our doctors were saying, this is probably normal. It's really back-to-back. And so for the next few weeks, I was in and out of the doctor's offices getting blood work done and testing done and just trying, trying to wait and hope and wait and hope and just kind of stuck in the every moment we have no idea what's happening saga of 2016. Um, And then on a Saturday morning at the end of July, I woke up to familiar pains that I had felt um, with our girls, and I knew that as my body was entering into labor that I wasn't going to end up having a baby to hold at the end of our story, and I ended up having a miscarriage that morning. And there was this moment where I was just kind of sitting on the floor, and my bathroom is my safe place. I don't know if you guys have that in your house, but it's like the place where I can lock the door, and I'm like, go away, kids, I'm busy. And um, <laughs> so I was just kind of sitting in the floor, and I felt really betrayed all of a sudden by my own body. Like this, I had done this twice before. I'd, I'd been able to have these two beautiful babies. I knew what my body was supposed to do, and it wasn't supposed to create death. It was supposed to create life. And so here I was, with all of these questions, how is this good news, God? Like, why not Bo? Why not this baby? Why the brokenness? Why the questions? And I, maybe out of faith, we could say, I started to just, in my silence and processing all of this, I just kind of sat there and I was like, okay, you're a good father and I'm loved by you. And you're a good father and we're loved by you. And I made space for all of these feelings and all this sadness and all this grief that was going on in my heart. And I... Um, I'm a very like visual person. A lot of times I feel like God speaks to me through pictures. And as I was kind of singing through those lyrics and praying through those lyrics, I had this picture of these little like light-shaped or butterfly-shaped lights that every time I would speak out a truth of God that he's good or that I'm loved by him or that he's here and he's present, it's like this little butterfly would pop out and all of a sudden in my darkness and in my brokenness, here I was surrounded by light. And so... 
I thought I made a lot of space for these feelings and for this grief, but as a mom, you kind of just have to jump right back in. And so Isley and Rosie came home from the trips that they were on, and all of a sudden, it was just back to fast-paced life, and we were running and going and moving, and um, then all of a sudden, it was Advent. And the very first week, the whole series title our title series was uh, Whispers in the Waiting, and we had made a lot of space that year for us to just be silent and to know God's voice. And Ginger, sweet Ginger, who's the best, was leading us through these meditations. And if you've been a part of this, you know that when she speaks, it's just comfort. Like she just breathes out comfort in her presence. And so she was leading us through these meditations about who God is And she took the words of 1 Corinthians 13 and she replaced the word love with Jesus. And the meditation that morning is that he is patient. He is kind. He doesn't envy. He does not boast. He's not self-seeking. He's not proud. He's not rude or easily angered. And he keeps no record of wrongs. He does not delight in evil, but he rejoices in the truth. He always protects. He always trusts. He always hopes. And he always perseveres. And so I'm sitting here like, Ginger! (laughs) And all of a sudden, I'm completely confronted with this grief that I thought I had worked through. I thought I was like, okay, and we were moving forward, and it was going to be fine, and we were going to figure it out. Um, But I hadn't. I learned pretty quickly that I had been just avoiding and there were these practices that were available to us, like journaling. We had, this is one of the first years that we had these Advent journals out. And reading, even this morning when I was reading through, like thinking, what in the world was I walking through when I was writing these things? And, um, and I remember the question that Ginger would, would kind of offer us every week of Advent was, what is it that you're hoping for? And I realized that I just wasn't ready to trust God with what I was hoping for. That deep down in the dark places of my heart where I didn't really take a lot of time to look at it, that I wasn't really sure that he was trustworthy with the most sacred and precious thing in my heart. And that the disappointment and the grief was real. And here we are anticipating and longing the birth of this baby that's to be born and to save the whole world, but I'm over here grieving the loss of my own. And I'm watching this family that I love more than anything in the world grieve because their son, their fiancé, their brother didn't make it. And so we're talking about this idea of joy, but what do you do when your world is grief? When I was finally able to acknowledge my grief and anger, I was able to exhale. And in that moment, that morning specifically, I remember I just kind of sat with God and I was like, okay, if you're Emmanuel and you're God with us and you're here, then just take it. And I like felt like I just kind of like threw this bag of shattered pieces all over the floor and I was like, you can carry them. And I was like, done. And I was like, if you're going to be with me, then this is your responsibility now. And it's a little sassy, but that's uh, how I work with God sometimes. And, um, and then Christmas Eve comes around, and we're doing our service, and Blake and I are leading through the songs, and I'm standing up here, and Ginger leads us through another meditation, and I just hear the Lord at the very end of it, Liv, what, what are you hoping for? What makes your bones ache tonight? Like, what is it that you want? And I didn't, I didn't feel any different. 
I was still disappointed. I was still stuck in grief. I was still terrified. But I just stood here and said, God, I want a baby. And I felt selfish admitting that because I already had two. And how many other women in my life had already lost even more than that or couldn't even get pregnant? Shouldn't I just be satisfied with the two I already have? Like, wasn't that enough? But in my honesty, I realized that the very core of what I was, what I was aching for, was another baby. And it's this idea of Emmanuel, God with us. Right? Like all through Scripture, we can see all through Scripture that um, God's desire and design has always been to be with us. In Isaiah 43, it says, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. And Genesis, behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. In Matthew, after the Great Commission, he says, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And Joshua, just as I was with Moses, still I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. And those are truths that were echoing through my mind when I was standing in the presence and when I was in this place and I was just like laying it out for the Lord, almost like testing him. And I felt weak. I felt like I was walking up with this tiny really fragile old thing that if I if anything happened it would just shatter like if you even looked at it the wrong way it would break and I just laid it in the hands of God and I said this God is what I long for this is what I'm desiring can I trust you with it and guys six days later I found out that I was pregnant again and I was terrified because I knew the only way to get to the thing that my heart desired for was to walk through this pregnancy. But oh my goodness, when you've experienced a loss and you have to walk the same path again, it's paralyzing sometimes where you try to breathe in and you try to say, okay, one more day, one more day. We made it to 11 weeks. We made it to 12 weeks. But it just is so fragile and unstable and uncertain. And I held on to those promises that we talked about in Advent in 2016 of the whispers of the waiting and I positioned myself with God and I said you are here you are Emmanuel every time I walked in for a doctor's appointment every time I woke up and I had to take those gross prenatal vitamins every time I would hold my girls close and then they would start freaking out and I was like oh am I sure I want to do this (laughs) you are here God (laughs) you are good every single moment and every single tear and every ounce of disappointment and anger he was there and I learned in that process that my grief and my anger and the uncertainty the questions that I had with everything that we were trying to walk through it wasn't a liability I wasn't sitting at the feet of God putting the gospel out there and it breaking grief and joy could coexist together i could be fully present in my grief and it didn't take away the power of the gospel if anything it made it what it is and realizing that in order to find restoration we first have to recognize that something is broken 
I think that that's, that's the beauty of what we're talking about this morning when you look at joy. It's not about shoving down the happiness and just pretending that it's fine. It's not about making it through the holidays because you don't want to be the sad one. <laughs> it's not about not feeling. I think it has everything to do with that. You make space for what's broken. You make space for the things you're longing for. You make space for grief. And as soon as you recognize that something is broken, you are inviting the fixer, the redeemer, the restorer into it. And what he does, what his presence done, is takes what's broken and he makes it new. And he takes what was dead and he calls it back to life. When I was a kid, I used to be really scared of thunderstorms, like terrified, like I would pee my pants terrified. And it's funny because my whole family are like the total weather nerds and their idea of like if a thunderstorm was coming through, they'd be like, let's jump in the car and take pictures of clouds. And I was like, no, you guys are stupid. We're going to die. Um, and I remember there was this one day where we were all kind of outside hanging out in my parents' front yard. And my older brother was, we lived kind of up on this hill. And my, my older brother was down on the street. And it was Mother's Day, and the clouds were getting a little, like, questionable, and my parents were outside nerding out about it. And out of nowhere, this lightning bolt just comes and strikes, like, 10 feet away from where my brother is. And I have this, like, mental image ingrained in my mind of him, like, diving on the floor and covering his head and, like, army crawling back up the stairs because we were like, what's happening? It's dangerous. And I, I had a glass in my hand, and it dropped, and I was like, Dad, we got to go this is scary this could be a tornado everything could be gone like extreme extreme fear <laughs> and my dad locks the door and says you're not allowed to go inside and I was like what this is abuse this is not okay and he's like we're not going inside and so he forced me he stood in front of the door like I physically could not go inside he stood in front of the door and he held me as I was trembling covered in whatever I just spilled all over myself and he was like Watch. And we would see a flash of lightning, and then he started to count. And you'd go, one, one thousand, two, two thousand, three, three thousand. And then you would hear the big crack of thunder. And I jumped every time, but he was like, don't you see? This is beautiful. And we sat there again, and the lightning would flash, and he would count it out. One, one thousand, two, two thousand, three, three thousand. Boom. And through the process of that storm, he forced me to face every single fear that I had, which was really rooted in uncertainty. And I knew at the end of the day, my dad is good and trustworthy, and I wasn't going to be stuck outside in the middle of destruction. <laughs> he was with me. And sure enough, 12 minutes into it, when the rain started coming down and we were all getting wet and gross, he was like, all right, now this is just not fun anymore. And, he would, and we went inside, and it was good. But the thing about my dad is that he, there's a safety to his presence. I knew that when something was broken or if there were gross spiders in the shower and I didn't want to kill them, that I could call my dad and he would run upstairs and save me. <laughs> or he would be with me while he forced me to do it. <laughs> and I think that that's the beauty of the kind of God that we have is that his presence is just as simple as renewed hope. He's not for our destruction. He doesn't force us to stay out in a storm that's going to destroy us. He stands with us, and in the process, he shows us wonder. And he shows us life and beauty and things that I never would have been able to see had I just hid in the basement the entire time, thinking that a tornado was about to break down my house in the middle of Baltimore. 
the birth of Jesus, this tiny infant, was the exact same thing. For people who were walking through oppression, who were enslaved, who were considered other people's property, who were pushed to the fringes, who had no value, no worth, who were not seen. This was really good news. In Isaiah, the people who walked in darkness, they've seen a great light, the birth of Jesus. For those who lived in a land of deep shadows, light, sunbursts of light. Has any of you ever experienced even like a power outage and you're just like, ooh, and eventually the longer it goes on, the more uncomfortable it gets, right? It gets colder. You're not really sure if the food that you have in your fridge is going to make it. There's a lot of uncertainty in it all, but there's like power when that power comes back on. Everybody, wow, it's back. We're good. It's going to be fine. That's the same impact of this birth of Jesus. For a child has been born for us. This is a message version of Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. For a child has been born for us, the gift of a son for us. He'll take over the running of the world. His names will be Amazing Counselor, Strong God, Eternal Father, Prince of Wholeness. His ruling authority will grow. And this is my favorite. There will be no limits to the wholeness that he brings. No limits to the wholeness that he brings. He'll rule from the historic David throne over the promised kingdom. He'll put that kingdom on firm footing and keep it going and with fair dealing and right living, beginning now and lasting always. It doesn't end. The zeal of God alone, of God of the angel armies, will do this. The good news, the joy for all in this birth is that he is coming to make all things right. So when we find ourselves in the darkness, in the brokenness, in the questions, in the grief, in the, the things we can't make sense of, why bow? Why not this baby? Why violence? Why are kids hungry? Why don't we have clean water? we find ourselves in these questions and this darkness, we realize that we've already made it through the darkest part of the night. It's only going to get warmer and brighter from here. And that's where joy is found. We can still grieve the not yet. But we can live and prepare as though it's already come. It's the same. I remember my pregnancy as I was walking through this year, through 2017, with this baby inside, and I was trembling and terrified, and all these things were happening, every decision I made was as though this baby was going to live. I had clothes picked out. I had nursery. We didn't paint things, but we put a crib together. (laughs) Um, Everything in our minimalistic and simplistic way of welcoming humans into our home, we did. (laughs) And I cleaned a lot that year. And we had the hard conversations and we had the moments where I just couldn't, where I was paralyzed and Blake would just come in and he would wrap his arms around me and he'd be like, I know, I know. And he would sit with me in the darkness and we would, we figured it out one day at a time. But we prepared as though it was happening, that it was guaranteed. We lived as though our lives were about to change forever by the birth of this baby. And then on 
September 1st, 2017, I gave birth to Lakin. And I remember this moment, it was really still. It was like 6 a.m. and I was so tired. And everything was broken and everything hurt. And I just felt this instant relief of like, oh, he's here. It's over. We did it. I did it. We made it. And they put this gross, covered, tiny infant on me. And I was so grossed out. And he he looked up at me with his beautiful eyes. And I just knew in that moment that my greatest hope had become my greatest joy. And all along, he was faithful. God was faithful. He took the brokenness and the grief and the darkness, and he made it into something amazing. And the miracle and the joy in it wasn't just the fact that I got what I wanted, right? There's plenty of you in here with stories where you're longing and hoping and waiting and waiting and waiting, and it hurts, and you, you don't even have a glimmer of that hope. There's space for you here. The miracle and joy of having Lakin wasn't in the fact that my arms were no longer empty and I had a baby. It was in the fact that I didn't have to walk a single day alone because I had a trustworthy God who is Emmanuel, who is with us. There's no limit to the wholeness that he brings to us. And so, here we are. Advent of 2018. How do we embody joy What does that look like for us? I think the only way we can do that is if we call into question what we're grieving. And maybe you're like me and you just aren't super self-aware with your emotions. When I walked through the loss of our baby, I thought that I had dealt with it. Even a month later, I thought I had dealt with it. I painted a river stone and put his name on it. We named him James. And I said, God, this is going to be an Ebenezer. I don't want this to be a part of my story. That's like that one time we had a miscarriage. I want him to have value. His name is James, and he's going to remind us that somehow you're here, and somehow you're good. I didn't know what the story was going to be yet. But maybe you're here this morning, and you haven't even acknowledged the grief that you have in your heart for a while. Maybe you've just kind of put it up on a shelf and just decided that it's okay to be disappointed in it for now. And I just want to encourage you today that maybe today's the day that you look at it and you make room for that grief. And you get angry and you take all those broken pieces that you've put up on that shelf and you throw them out and you let God take them. (laughs) You don't give them a choice. These are yours. Make space for that grief. Invite him to be a restorer. I think that we also need to be present in it. We need to make space for our grief, but we also need to be so present. We can't just acknowledge that it's there and then walk away. That's what we did before, right? (laughs) Putting it up on the shelf. We need to be present. We need to be angry. We need to be sad. We need to be disappointed. We need to have all of the feels. We need to feel the feels. (laughs) We need to make space for it and be so present. Be a part of the process. If you have never done centering prayer or... um, 
like meditative mindfulness kind of things. It's something that um, Blake introduced into our home, and it has been a saving grace for us. When everything, like, it's kind of like everything just kind of builds on top of it, and it gets louder and louder and louder, and then you start panicking, and you're like, wow, I took this really deep breath in, but that's where I stopped. And then you finally get into the presence of God, and you're like, Ugh! and you exhale. <laughs> I think that's the beauty of his presence and our presence in his presence, is that... He calls to us and he says, let out your breath, O weary soul. You're safe here. The waves that overwhelm, they call me Lord. They tremble at the sound of my voice. And beloved, you are mine and I am yours. And I have you. And I think the last thing that we can do today, right now, is we can sing When I was walking through my miscarriage and I was singing out the truths of God, it reminded me of the power of our praise. We sing out the truths of God. Those are lights in the midst of our darkness. And even if that's the only light we have, at least that's something to guide us, right? Through the darkness, we can trust that if a light's over here, I'm going to take one step closer that way. And that's movement, right? And so I think that in our praise and in our song, some of you need to sing your way through the darkness. You need to sing your way through the grief. You need to acknowledge that it exists, lay it all out, and sing with faith that God is a good God, that he's a good father, that he is for you, that he loves you, and that he can take what is broken and hopeless and make it new. And that, my family, is where our joy is found this Advent season. In the waiting, in the now. And even for those of you who are brave enough today to hope. So let's pray as we kind of close out this time together. God, you alone are our light and our salvation. You restore. You are good. There is no thing that is too broken for you. So God, would you just, even in this moment, as we exhale, as we breathe out your very life in us, would your peace just overwhelm us in this moment? And would you call to mind the things that we need to grieve well today? For those of us who aren't grieving, would you teach us how to be homemakers and safe places for those who are grieving? Would we set tables in the wilderness where everyone is welcome? Don't disappoint us, God. You've got to be as good as you say you are, Lord. We find our hope and our value and our rest in the name of Jesus here this morning, God. So would you come and move and do what only you can do this morning, God. We love you. In your name I pray. Amen.